Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of January 31, 2016. Just a week ago, much of the eastern part of the United States was buried under record amounts of snow. Here in Louisville, we had only about five or six inches, but that's enough to keep us indoors for a long time if the temperatures stay cold. Fortunately, things warmed up right away, and all of our snow was gone by Tuesday. That must have been enough of the white stuff to give us all cabin fever, because we had a record number of 39 at the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout this past Friday. Braille lessons, iPhone and iPad apps, some work on family trees, and a general discussion time happened before dinner. Patty Cox cooked up some great chicken tenders, broccoli, new potatoes, and cherry cobbler and ice cream for dinner. And then there was plenty of time for bingo and cards. At our discussion time, we shared the following information. Nearly all of us at one time or another have health issues about which we want to know more. Some issues may be short-term, while others are more chronic or long-term. One of the best websites, packed with solid information written in language an individual can understand, is the Mayo Clinic website. Very, very accessible for screen readers and braille displays, the site is easy to search and presents information in well-organized pages. Visit the site at www.mayoclinic.org. Quickly find what you're looking for by typing a term into the search box, such as a health condition or a symptom. You'll discover a wealth of articles and information, all easy to read, plus related links to more information on each page. Mayo Clinic also offers a number of free, informative, daily and weekly newsletters on a variety of health-related issues. These newsletters are delivered by email, and they feature two or three timely articles plus a recipe. Newsletter items include the title of the article, a brief teaser about the content, and a link to the web page with the full article. See a list of all available newsletters by visiting www.newslettersignup.mayoclinic.com. The Durbert K. McDaniel First Timer Award has been part of every ACB convention for many years. Every year, two people are chosen to attend the National Convention and learn more about ACB and what it does. This year, ACB has received a very exciting grant that will allow us to bring not two, but ten people to the National Convention. Listen on page two as Alan Casey, chair of the Durbert K. McDaniel First Timers Committee, shares more information about this program and how you can apply. Some of you will remember my son, Mike Franklin, Mike grew up in KCB and actually worked for us for a while in the 1990s. He attended many ACB conventions as a child and teenager, and he helped Jim Olson with convention registration at the 2000 National Convention here in Louisville. 
He last attended an ACB convention in 2007 in Minneapolis when he came for most of the week with his wife, Shauna, and two young children, David and Lindsay. Mike has been in the Air Force for about 15 years, and he and his family have lived in Key West, Scott Air Force Base in Chicago and Illinois, Little Rock, Arkansas, Dayton, Ohio, St. Simon Island, Georgia, and Alexandria, Virginia. Mike is now overseas with his family for two years, and he visits us on page three to give us a glimpse into their lives in a tiny Middle Eastern country called Qatar. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. On the phone with me is Alan Casey. Alan is from North Carolina, and he is the chair of the Dorbert K. McDaniel First Timers Committee. We're so glad to have you with us, Alan. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. We have a very neat program uh, that is available this year on a on a one-time basis, and the DKM committee has been charged with administering this exciting program, and Alan is going to tell us a little about it today. Um, there's been an article in the Braille Forum, but we want to put this front and center on everybody's plate and make sure everyone knows about it. So, Alan, I'm going to let you tell us all about uh, the new exciting program that your committee is administering. This, this to me, and in, in, in my, my years in ACB, is probably the most exciting thing that's happened. But ACB has received a one-time grant, as Carl said, from J.P. Morgan Chase and Company to fund 10 individuals at the National Conference and Convention in Minneapolis for a leadership program. And we'll be calling these individuals our leadership fellows. And uh, this, we, we, for years, we've, we've hoped to get some money to, uh, to, to, to fund the leadership, leadership training and, and encourage more people to become involved in leadership positions. And this year, it's happened. Uh, what, the, what the program will do is uh, two of the ten slots, the individuals will be brought to the convention, two of those slots will be the DKM first-timers. So that in itself is encouraging because that, uh, that, that helps us uh, fund that program. Uh, without having to draw down on the McDaniel Fund. The other eight individuals will be leadership fellows, and uh, all ten of these people will come to the convention as guests of uh, ACB and the DKM committee and J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Uh, their transportation will be paid. Uh, they'll be provided with uh, hotel, uh, hotel accommodations, a double occupancy. They will receive a per diem stipend for meals and allowances, and, of course, their convention registration fee will be paid. And they will also uh, receive tickets to the um, DKM reception and the um, ACB banquet on Friday evening. That is just such a neat opportunity. Um, the first timers, the two first timers that will come, will follow the usual. Uh, first-timer criteria in that you truly have to not have attended an ACB convention before in exactly. order to apply for one of those two positions. And um, in the past, we've taken one east and one west of the Mississippi, and um, that will be the case again this year. But the criteria for the leadership fellows positions is a little bit different. So tell us how it differs from the DKM. 
Okay, well, the, the thing, first of all, the things they have in the, the criteria in common uh, include uh, 18 years of age or older, uh, blind or visually impaired, and a member of ACB in good standing. Now, the DKM requirement also, DKM criteria also includes uh, the requirement that they never have attended a national conference and convention in the past. This will not be true for the leadership fellows. Uh, they may well have attended one or more conventions in the past, and uh, that, that's, that's fine. We simply ask them to, to, in their application, we ask them to tell us which conventions they attended. Now, you know, someone said, well, someone's asked how many, how many conventions uh, are acceptable, and, and we don't really have a number on that because there's so many other factors we're going to look at. We want to look at how the, what sort of involvement they've had at the local and state level, involvement they may have had at the national level. Uh, you know, someone on the ACB board, for example, would not be eligible. No. For, for a leadership fellowship. So, and, uh, I, and I would think that someone who comes every year, you know. Yeah, but we're I looking mean, for someone who's, who's had the who's had the opportunity to come, uh, maybe two or three conventions. And I'm just throwing out numbers that really aren't official. Yeah. But maybe two or three conventions, and they've really shown an interest and uh, to get involved. And we want to encourage them and give them another opportunity to get even more involved and don't have to worry about the financial side of it. Mm -hmm. And maybe they haven't been able to come for a few years, but yeah. uh, or maybe they came for a different reason before. Now they're interested in leadership, you know, yeah. moving from the just coming to kind of enjoy the convention, et cetera, et cetera, into the more serious side. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's encouraging people to get more involved. We're, we're asking the individual uh, submits a letter of application to the mm -hmm. committee, mm -hmm. and in that letter they, they will they introduce themselves. And I, I, one thing I like to tell people, I've had people call me and send me emails saying, well, what should I put in my letter? And what I tell them all is this. The purpose of that letter is for you to sell yourself, to market yourself to the committee. Exactly. Why should we select you as opposed to someone else? You know, it's not enough just to say, well, I've been very involved for 10 years. Mm -hmm. What does that involvement consist of? What have you done? What have you accomplished? What do you feel like you've accomplished? And how have you helped your, your local affiliate, for example, your state affiliate? Well, we ask them to introduce themselves to us in that letter, tell us about themselves, their educational background, any other experience they want to, they want to share with us, and what they've done. And that helps us to, to see the individual and to evaluate that individual based on what, what they think of themselves, and, and also tell us where they where they're going. What did they? What would they do with this experience at the National Convention? And I, I can tell you for a fact, we we've got any number of people who have been selected as first timers over the past several years who are very much involved in ACB today. At oh yes, committee level and the state and national level. You're one and of them. Yeah, uh, I was a first timer, and we have we actually have six first timers on the DKM committee. Mm -hmm. And they're all people who have uh, they, they they've been through the process and they've become very involved. Um, two of those six are state presidents. Uh, one is a former state president, and all of this came about after they were selected as first timers. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's that that's the proof of the pudding right there. We also asked the individual to submit a letter from the president of their affiliate. Now on the DKM side. The letter must come from the president of your state affiliate or special interest affiliate, your ACB state or special interest affiliate. In this case, it could be the, the president of any your, your local affiliate if, if, that's, if that's what you choose to do. But we want that individual again, and we emphasize to them. Uh, we've, had, we've had letters come in, for example, and said, I think this person would be an excellent choice, and I highly recommend them sincerely. 
that doesn't that doesn't help the committee at all. Yeah, that doesn't tell us anything, you know. The individual sells himself or herself. We want the person making that recommendation also to sell the individual to market that individual. If if you think you're going to make a good leader, tell us how. How? Tell us why you think that, and and tell us what they've done. And and we've had some excellent letters from 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 presidents in the past for the DKM program, and they do make a difference. We read those letters, uh, and then of course we also do telephone interviews. After the April one deadline, the committee reviews all the applications, and then we schedule telephone interviews with with uh, committee members uh, on the interview teams, and then we get together and make our final decision. Mm-hmm. So that that essentially is the process that they they uh, they have to go through. Now. One thing we are looking for in selecting the leadership fellows, we do plan to try to have those available for various age groups. But we're, we're particularly interested in recruiting some younger, uh, int- younger people into these positions. And, you know, Alan, in doing that, in the case of a younger member, a newer member, they may not have 10 years of history with the organization or 10 years of history in ACB. But in those cases, um, they need to tell us what kinds of background they do have that could be uh, that that could be um, applicable to this type of of, of uh, program. Exactly, and again, that, that goes back to the importance of that letter of application and also the right. recommendation, uh, telling us you know, what, what have you done. Right. You know, and it, it, it doesn't, like I say, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to have been a member of your state affiliate for ten years and you you've done this, that, and the other. Right. Uh, but we, if you, community activities, leadership is 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 not necessarily a narrow focus. Right. Uh, a broad background, I think, can help make a person a better leader. Yes. In, in so many ways, and because you're going to gain so much experience that way, and, and then you bring that experience into the organizations to which you belong, and the organizations in which you become a leader. So, uh, we, we, if you've got a broad background, that's great. That's and we want to know about that because that that's uh, that's something that ACB needs. Maybe even work experience or yeah. uh, volunteer things that you've done um, outside of ACB. Maybe in 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 your church or civic clubs, other things that that demonstrate an interest in leadership and helping others. Exactly. Exactly, and that. Uh, and we, we've gotten a lot of people like that in the DKM program. That, that's what we have to look at for an example. Mm-hmm. But we've had people in the DKM program who've, uh, uh, we had uh, one person became a first-timer, was a uh, retired uh, broker, realty broker. Mm-hmm. And we've had educators, um, uh, IT specialists, mm-hmm. a whole range of things. And we have one who, who we, even at one time, was a Randolph Shepherd vendor. Yes. A couple of years ago, and and that's that's all that's important, and they they each one of them brings something to the committee. That's and correct. And the same thing will happen with this leadership program. Each of the individuals will bring something to uh to, to ACB. Yes. Yes. And I think too the important thing too there's there's sort of a, uh, an emotional thing here in that we 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 we're telling these people we you know we want we we recognize in you leadership capabilities and we want to encourage you and we want to give you opportunities to become more involved, and that you know that kind of motivation. Is important. You know, the motivation that comes from the individual is important, but that outside motivation is important as well. And you know, we we have we believe in you, and we need your we need your your support and uh, your expertise. Yes. Okay. So tell us how 
people apply for this? There's not actually an application form. So what no, is the process? Okay, the process is, and this is true of DKM as well, um, the individual submits a letter, as I said before, you know, showing themselves, introducing themselves, marketing themselves to the committee. And then the individual has the president, in the case of the leadership fellows, the president of their of an affiliate that they're choosing, uh, submits a letter of recommendation, which we hope will be fairly extensive and uh, and really buttress what they what the individual has already told us. Those two letters uh, should be submitted uh, to uh, the national office to Kelly Gask in the national office. And her email address, uh, we have it in the barrel form, but I'll, I'll just uh, give it again. It's, it's uh, K-G-A-S-Q-U-E at A-C-B dot org. Send the application materials, uh, both letters, to Kelly's attention at A-C-B uh, not later than April 1. Mm -hmm. That April 1 is the cutoff date. Mm -hmm. And that is true of both the leadership fellows and DKM. Now, the DKM letter, as I indicated earlier, must come from the president of the individual's ACB state or special interest affiliate. Right. But the other and letters can, that, that person can also submit the other letter as well. They can yes, submit for letters. Yes, all the letters go, go to mm -hmm. Kelly Gask, attention at ACB. Yes. And, Alan, if they're really not sure, I mean, if it, you know, a person who's a first-timer may also be eligible for the leadership mm -hmm. uh, award. So the committee will look at those and will place people in the correct category. If yes, you, know, you don't yes, have to be will. worried about which category you're applying for. Just, just hey, exactly. send the information. Exactly. And if anybody has any questions, uh, certainly ask them. Uh, please uh, send your questions to me, uh, my email address, and I'll spell it for you. Well, first of all, my email address is mahatmaac at aol.com. That's M-A-H-A-T-M-A-A-C at aol.com. Okay. Would you give so that one more time, please? That's M-A-H-A-T-M-A-A-C at AOL.com. Okay. And if something that someone doesn't understand or they have a question about the, the, the letters or, or anything relating to the program, send me an email and I'll get an answer back to you. All right. Well, Alan, this has been great. I very much enjoy being the officer liaison for the DKM committee. It's, it's a great experience and it's exciting to see new people coming to ACB and it's it's great just to pick two each year but to be able to pick ten is just fabulous yeah. so and we've always hoped that we could expand the program somehow and I guess that this is one way of doing it it sure is special funding and uh, so we we, uh, we appreciate this opportunity to uh, to share this information over sound prints and uh, we look forward to getting lots and lots of applications all right thank you so much well, thank you for the opportunity Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. 
Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 3. Our next Sound Prince interview is uh, from one side of the world to the other. I have on the phone David Franklin, we call him Mike, uh, and he is in the Air Force, and he's in a little country called Qatar, or maybe, uh, Mike, is it Qatar? Which is it? It depends on who you ask. Oh, okay. It's either. Okay. People who live there, people who are from there are Qataris, right? Yes. Okay. So um, it's spelled Q-A-T-A-R, for those of you that aren't familiar with it. Um, Mike left for Qatar in July this last summer, right after we got back from the ACB convention in, no, right before we went to the ACB convention in Dallas. And he had a choice to go for one year or to go for two years and take his family along, and he chose to take the family. It's been a great experience. So, Mike, we're glad you'll talk with us today and give us an idea of what life is like in Qatar. Well, there's uh, a lot of different things to talk about. I guess one thing is just the just daily, um, daily life. So, I mean, I, I go to work every day, and Shauna and the kids go, Shauna stays home, the kids go to school, they go to uh, American school, um, that has about, I want to say somewhere around the upper 60s of nationalities represented in the student body, and a little bit over 70 nationalities with all the um, people that work there, mm-hmm. um, so huge, huge uh, a lot of different cultures that are there, but it's all American curriculum. All the actual teachers are from the U.S., uh, educated in the U.S. at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and they speak English. It's... Speak English, mm-hmm. yes. And there's, uh, what, about 2,200 kids in that school? About 2,200, yeah. K through 12. K through 12. So it's it's not just a little school around the corner. No, very large campus. Yes. And... Um, Almost sounds almost like a college campus or something. I mean, it's amazing. Um, so when you got to Qatar, um, you had to, of course, have all your things shipped over, and some things you sent, and some things you, I guess, got there. Um, when you got there and got into your house, you don't, you all don't live on base, so. So how, you know, people people often ask me, well, where does he live? How does it, you know, do they just have a house? Or they people, I think, assume that you're that you're on base. Tell us about just where Americans live in Qatar. Well, yeah, so we live off base, and we just live in a. It's called a compound, but it's, um, I guess, it is a compound. It's uh, about two hundred, uh, what they call villas, um, homes. Within the com within this compound, um, within our compound, we got people from all over the world here—not just Americans, but um, 
mainly other expatriates that are you know sort of not from Qatar. Um, not just military people. But. Not just military. No, there's very few military folks here. Other people will either work for the gas industry, oil industry. Um, there are some civilians that work on some of the bases, U.S. Uh, bases. Other people in the military live in other compounds. The military uses five different compounds that people live in, and it just depends on the availability of where a house is when they need one. Now, when you say a compound, it, it's not just like a suburb here in the United States. Uh, how is a compound defined? Does it have a wall around it? Is it gated? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the whole, the whole, each compound is then walled. That's why it's called a compound, just because it's, it's walled, um, I don't know, 10, 12-foot walls and gated. We've got security. Um, that's there, and like within our compound, so we've got a pool, we got a clubhouse, it's got a game room and a fitness facility. There's a restaurant. There's a drop-off cleaners, dry cleaners. Um, there's a little grocery store, just like a little corner market, like we used to have in the states. Um, and I mean, there's even a guy that comes around and will wash your car for uh, 15 real, which is and less than five dollars, um, and then, uh, but it's not like a it's not like a little small place. It's I don't know how big the whole compound is, but there's two or three major streets, and then other streets that connect mm -hmm. those major streets. It sounds like living in a kind of in a uh, you know a really um, it, it'd be almost like living in a glorified country club or something. <laughs> Yeah, somebody that was here when we came here described it as think of going on a uh, uh, to a vacation home, but it's not a vacation home. You live here for two years because when we got here, everything's furnished. You know, the house is furnished. You just bring all your kitchen stuff and your clothes and kids' toys and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but all the furniture and everything else is here. A couple TVs and everything. So we just move in. Um, and, and describe your house. I think your house is interesting. Well, no, it's uh, it's kind of built on a, let's say, European slash Middle Eastern style. So it's just like a big um, rectangular home, but, you know, high ceilings, I don't know, 12, 14 foot ceilings. Mm. Um it's got a, the living room is actually dual sitting area because in uh, Middle Eastern culture, men and women don't socialize. If you have guests over, they don't socialize together, so they have two different sitting areas, but they're, it's just one big, big, huge living room area with two different sitting areas, and then, you know, a formal dining room with an eight-person dining room table and buffet and a pretty good-sized kitchen, um, actually a large kitchen. And then upstairs is uh, four bedrooms. Each bedroom has its own bathroom. And then there's also like a den in the middle of all the bedrooms. So that's like another living room den area. Kind of a common area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just a big open, open style tile floor throughout the whole house. And um, all the walls, one thing that's different, all the walls, you know, all the construction over here is all center block and concrete. So becomes difficult to put things on the wall. Um, 
bet Shauna had a hard time with that because she loves to put a lot of pictures up and things. There are a lot of pictures, but those uh, command hook, 3M, hmm. sticky strip stuff, uh -huh. they were pretty well on the concrete. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. And then uh, not much of a yard because grass doesn't grow very well over here, but just a little back uh, uh, area that's tiled. It's got a little strip of place where you can, I guess, try to grow a garden. Um, but then, you know, in the back it's all, you know, every house's property is in the back is separated by, I don't know, high walls. Mm -hmm. So kind of private to the, the culture over here is very private um, in your own home. But then outside, and one good thing about the compound, there's um, probably kids in 90% of the homes, so kids all over the place. Oh, I guess David and Lindsay love that. Yes, they do. What is it like um, outside the compound? Is you know when people think of the Middle East, and you're you're on the Persian Gulf. Tell us about life outside that compound. Maybe um, you know the 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 safety or the security, um, the crime rate in the area. Uh, maybe a trip to the grocery store. You know, there's so many things that. It just seemed to be very, very interesting. And also, you might throw in a little bit about the climate, because that's that's interesting, too. Yeah, so after the compound, I mean, it's just like, well, it's not like the U.S., but it's, I mean, you've got your malls, and the, what's different is the major grocery stores are anchor stores of the mall as well. Mm. Um, and then, uh, so you got to fight mall traffic just to go to the grocery store. Um, but... Uh, the um, the the safety and security. I say we you know we're just stationed in the D.C. area and we're in Chicago before and we're probably safer over here than either one of those two places. Um, the, the major crime over here is petty theft, uh, stuff like that. In in other areas of uh, the city, and Qatar is so small. Doha is like the major city. Major, the only major city, so most of the population of Qatar lives in Doha or the surrounding areas of Doha. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, the mall has, like I said, the grocery stores. All the, all the other stores, you know, I don't know the normal clothing stores. And I mean, Lindsay broke her glasses, so we went to there's a glasses store when bought new eyeglasses, and um, you know, there's Starbucks and. Coldstone Creamery and everything else in the malls and your regular, you know, whether you want a steak shop or whatever, um, different restaurants in the malls as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then grocery store, the grocery stores are kind of different. Um, they, you'll find something that you like and then they won't have it two weeks from now. Um <laughs> And they're not and worried someone, about keeping it stocked, right? No, no, and and some things are some things are the same cost as back in the states. But if you want something that's a U.S. product, you're going to pay more. I don't know a box of cereal, regular box of cereal, seven eight dollars. Um, so it's a lot cheaper just to get it shipped by Walmart.com um, or Amazon, mm -hmm. and. Uh, the uh, but 
one of the two grocery stores that we use a lot is almost like a super Walmart. I mean, they've got anywhere from clothes to household goods to toys to the groceries to a fresh fresh fish market to a big fresh spice section. Um, a bunch of yeah, the the. the a whole section that's like just dates and olives because that's from this area, date trees. Now you told me that a lot of the food comes from uh, comes from a lot of different countries, like your tomatoes that come from one place, and you know the uh, other things will be from somewhere else. It, it sounded like almost a, you could have a geography lesson just in the grocery store. Yes, yeah, so and not a lot of things are grown um, here in Qatar and. Like down in UAE, which is just south of Qatar, United Arab Emirates, they had no agriculture really. Um, and then the, um, I forget what the head of their country is called, but um, the family that, that that rules the UAE right now, um, they're, they're the founding family, and they actually were going to make the country something back in the 70s when it became the UAE, and you know through agriculture, and that's where a lot of the figs, so palm trees, there are fig trees. Um, or date trees, mm-hmm. date trees, mm-hmm. um, and they, uh, so a lot of, not a lot of agriculture around here, so, yeah, I mean, like, potatoes come from Jordan, and plums come from Spain, and, but in the grocery store, everything is marked where it came from, the produce section, or the, if it's meat, um, our beef comes from either Australia or New Zealand, um, and so, yeah, there's things from, from all over, but. You know, the longer, the, the further distance it has to travel, mm-hmm. the more it costs. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, I guess gas is, of course, cheap there. <laughs> uh, gas, unlike the U.S. right now, um, in the U.S., gas is going down. Over here, gas just went up. Um, it's it's actually state-regulated. The price of gas in the gas station you go to is going to be the same price. Um, it just went over a dollar what would, what would equal about a dollar a gallon for their low grade, which is our mid grade back in the States. But um, because their economy is built on gas in Qatar, natural gas. Mm-hmm. So as the natural gas prices go down, then things here go, prices will go up. Mm-hmm. So uh, so they, they keep that price pretty much where, where, they, where the government wants it to be. Yeah, because it's, it's so gas, uh, automobile gas is subsidized by the government. That's one of the subsidies, and, and everybody gets the benefit of that subsidy. Um, so there's a lot of cars but and very few gas stations. Oh. Because not a whole lot of profit when the, when the government tells you the price it has to be. So Right. Right. Um, a trip to the uh, gas station could take anywhere. You know, you could sit in line for. You can get lucky and be no line, um, or you can sit in line for thirty minutes, forty minutes, just to get gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that's of interest to, of course, a lot of blind people here <laughs> is the um, Uber and Lyft services, and you all have Uber over there. Yeah, Uber, and then uh, just regular cabs. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I 
I think your Uber service is about the same. You you used Uber when you were in the D.C. area, and using it there, would you say that it's um, about the same as as it was there, as far as the process? It all works through your app. Is it the, does it work the same way? Oh yes, it's the same Uber app, and the only difference is I got to call our security guys up front to let them know they got a driver coming in. Also, so it's really, I think it's cheaper than than what was in the in the D.C. area. Uh-huh. Um, I think from here to the airport, which can be worth from a you know twenty to thirty minute drive, is just under twenty dollars. Mm. Oh, that that would be a yeah. That's that is probably much less expensive. Um, also, I think one thing that's been interesting to me when you tell call and you know kind of share the st- stories of doing different things is the service. Um, tell us about the the service in restaurants, airports, things like that. Well, the culture over here is uh, where you know service when when you're out and you're spending your money somewhere. Um, you know, people expect excellent service. Um, and, and also a lot of that is there's a lot of cheap labor over here. There's not really strict labor laws, and there's no minimum wage. So there's a lot of um, other country nationals from whether it's the, the Philippines or the uh, um, uh, Tagal or Nepal. Mm-hmm. Um those people get, you know, come over and work and they don't make very much money. But um, it's all about service. Um, so restaurants and other places can have a lot of employees for a little bit of cost. So the service is a lot better. Um, but that's kind of has become expected. So you go to a restaurant and you'll probably have a server that is pretty much dedicated to you or you and one other table. Um, and your your water glass will never be dry. Um, if you go to a place that uh, serves Arabic food or um, like Lebanese food or something like that, that is custom to have bread on the table, um, like pita bread or whatever, you know, you've always got bread on the table. It's not gonna. Uh, you never have to ask for it. No, no. <laughs> you know, like at the airport, there's. I mean, there's just people. You don't have to look too far, go too far to find somebody to ask if you get a question. And everybody is, you know, willing to take you where you need to go, point out where you need to go, make sure you have or know what you need to have or need to know. How about in the stores? Do you get that kind of service in the in the stores at the malls, at the grocery? Now, the grocery stores are a little different because they, there's a, they're European owned, but they do have a lot of people in there. And if you ask somebody, I mean, I asked somebody where some stuff was, and you know, some guys are trying to run around and find something that they didn't end up having. But there's not as much um, uh, people standing around the grocery store to help you. But a lot of times, it's just a matter in the grocery store of trying to think where somebody else might believe a product would be, oh. not necessarily where we believe a product would be. I see. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I thought it was interesting uh, at the 
around the holidays, you were telling me that there were a lot of Christmas things there. We would, I think all of us would think that in a Muslim country, you wouldn't see very many things uh, related to Christmas. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean, all not all the stores, but most of the stores, I mean, the store that we go shopping, they had a, a huge Christmas section with trees. We actually bought a tree, um, Christmas ornaments, and I mean, drive down the road and other shops and stores would have Christmas stuff. And um, just like anywhere else, uh, if there's if there's people to buy something and you you provide it, they're gonna they're gonna do it. They're gonna you know if you sell it, that's smart right you make profit um but there's i mean the culture the culture here is you know they're trying to be they're they're more westernized um and realize that there are other cultures that are here um, other than just the muslim culture uh and you're not downgraded or 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 looked bad upon if you're buying a christmas tree do they, and they actually, you know, here a lot of times it'll be holiday, the holiday section. Um, and do they actually advertise it as as Christmas trees or holiday, oh, no, it, whatever? It was Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. And and the, the major hotels downtown, um, the uh, uh, Ritz-Carlton and, and hotels like that, they have, you know, tree lightings and Christmas celebrations and all that kind of stuff down at the hotels. Mm-hmm. So it's all... There was plenty of Christmas around. Mm-hmm. She wanted to go find it. Uh-huh. Um, tell us, tell us um, about the tell us about the weather there. Uh, you all arrived in July, and uh, I think that was sort of a warm time of year. Uh, of course, I think when people think of Qatar is in the desert, and um, I think the image of the desert oftentimes is just hot, um, hot and dry. So, um, tell us uh, about the about the weather, both in the summer and what it's like there now, here in January. Well, it was very hot when we got here, and then it went to very hot and humid. So, in early August, the uh, I guess the winds change and it starts pulling in the humidity off of the Arabian Sea, because um, while it is a desert, it's a desert. Qatar is a peninsula country that sits right out in in the Arabian Sea, and so in August the winds shift and the humidity comes in, and then it's just 120 degrees now with 100% humidity. Um, and we so think the South is bad. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Um, you know, before before the humidity comes in, I mean, it's just hot. So I mean, you know, a lot of people can deal with the heat. It's more of a traditional desert dry heat um so it's kind of weird when the when the humidity comes in you then get another another side of the the hotness um but now um as it goes through i guess it was the end of september first part of october the heat started to break now it's actually um what we are calling cold um it's right around the 50s and we are now sitting around in long pants and sweat tops mm-hmm. um, because we believe it's cold at mid fifties. Well, yes, it's all a relative um, thing. <laughs> right. 
and very little. So sometimes it rains. Um, sometimes it'll be raining in one part of the uh, city, not in the other part. Um, but a lot of times when it rains, it really does downpour at one time, and so some things are flooded. Um, the kids actually had a rain day at school, right? Kids had a rain day because <laughs> it rained too much. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that, that it would sound so funny here to have a rain day, but um, I, I suppose if it if it floods, and I, I'm sure there's nothing like a storm sewer or anything, so it would be very possible to have a lot of flooding uh, with that. They do have uh, they do have some storm, storm sewers throughout the city. Um, some infrastructure, but the infrastructure is just not built. You know, if you get rain four or five times a year, um, are you going to invest in storm sewers like sure. you would in southeast United States? Probably not, because cost benefit is not not there. So, right, just kind of deal with uh, when it, when it downpours and it kind of floods things. Things just kind of stop. And it finally drains off, and then things go again. Mm-hmm. How about have you had a dust storm? We've had several dust storms, and they uh, are usually ahead of a thunderstorm mm. and, and and rain. So Ooh, that uh, can be a icky situation. <laughs> it is. So I mean, some of the bad dust storms, I and mean, then it actually will pick up. Uh, I don't know, I won't say pebbles, but just you know, larger pieces of sand or rock, you know, as it comes through. And they can be pretty uh, pretty intense, hmm. like a big wall of sand coming through. One thing we did not say at the beginning is that Qatar does have a ruling family. It's... it's um, is it, is it sort of like a royal family, or um, it's well, not it's, an elected uh, family? It's not an elected family, no. So the emir, and uh, they have a, a fatherly emir, but the emir is, is the emir now. Um, but they still recognize the fatherly emir, the Althani family, mm-hmm. and they um, they have been in they have been the, the ruling, you know, the family since Qatar was. Formed Qatar used to be a British colony, um, and actually Qatar, uh, when the United Arab of Emirates was forming, which is south of Qatar, um, six of the seven Emirates that were down there had actually joined with Qatar and Bahrain, which is another country, um, and that was that was the original United Arab of Emirates, and then Qatar and Bahrain decided they wanted to be their own country. And the seventh emir, um, Emirates, that was down next to the other six, what is now in the UAE, they became the UAE. And that was just back in the 70s. Uh, there's just so much we could talk about. And, and it's just very, very interesting. I, I think that, um, you know, looking at different cultures and things is just just interesting. And, and the fact that you know, this is, seems to be such a um, conglomeration of, of, of people from all over the world. It's truly an international community. So I appreciate you talking with us. And maybe um, maybe you can 
visit with us again, or maybe we can get uh, David or Lindsay to tell us about their school experiences sometime. I, I think that would be interesting from their point of view. So um, thank you very much. Appreciate All it. Alrighty. Page four, the Sound Prince calendar. February 4 is the monthly meeting of ACB Lions. This is open to Lions from around the country. We share ideas and ways to be involved in our local clubs. 9 p.m. by conference call at 712-432-3900, code 796096. February 5 is the GLCB quarterly meeting and roundabout. This time, from 3.30 to 10, we'll have some education and technology, bargain table, program, meeting, and a great spaghetti dinner. There will also be a Next Generation raffle. For more information, call 895-4598 and please sign up and let us know how many people will be coming with you. February 5 and 6 is the rescheduled NCASB Wrestling and Cheerleading Conference Championships. Postponed due to snow, this event is hosted by the Kentucky School for the Blind, 1867 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Contact Kyle Sosha, the Athletic Director at the school, at 502-897-1583. On February 6 is the Art of Bookmaking, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., at the American Printing House for the Blind. If you can glue, stitch, or fold, you already have the basic skills to create some spectacular gifts and keepsakes. At the Printing House, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Free, but space is limited, so call to sign up for ages 10 and up. 502-899-2213. Also on February 6th, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will hold a dine-out from 12 to 2 p.m. at Logan's Roadhouse on Shelbyville Road in Louisville. For more information, call 895-4598. February 7 is the Greater Louisville Council Committee Meetings, 7 p.m. Advocacy, 8 p.m. Education and Technology, 9 p.m. Activities. Call 605-475-6006, code 294444. On February 8 is the KSB Advisory Board meeting, 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the Kentucky School for the Blind. More information at 502-897-1583. On February 8, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have their next outing, 3 to 4.30 p.m. at Collins Bowling Center, 205 Southland Drive in Lexington. Everyone is responsible for expenses, including shoe rental, game fees, and other charges incurred while bowling. For information, call the BCB office at 859-259-1834. On February 9, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will have their next meeting in Owensboro, 1 to 3 p.m. at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. On February 11, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have a conference call meeting at 7 p.m., 605-475-4700, code 155-619. February 12 is the next GLCB roundabout. 
including education and technology from 3.30 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, and games and crafts 7 to 10, 895-4598 to sign up. February 13, the Greater Louisville Council will have its board meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call, 605-475-6006, code 294444. On February 14, the KCB Next Generation will have their monthly conference call meeting at 8 p.m., 605-475-6006, code 294444. On February 15, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a health initiative meeting, 1 to 3 p.m., Heart Healthy Theme, at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. More information at 859-259-1834. On February 15, the KCB board meeting will be held for February at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006. The code is 294444. On February 18, the Braille Challenge is a regional competition at the Kentucky School for the Blind for all students who are Braille readers. Everyone is encouraged to participate. Students competing at grade level have a chance to win a trip to the National Braille Challenge in Los Angeles, California in June. For more information, call the Kentucky School for the Blind at 502-897-1583. February 19 is the next Greater Louisville Roundabout, 895-4598 for more information. February 21 is the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board Meeting by conference call at 8 p.m., 605-475-6006, code 294444. February 22, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will hold their next membership conference call at 7 p.m. 605-475-6006 code 294444. On February 24, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a peer support group meeting from 12 to 2 p.m. at the BCB office on South Broadway in Lexington. More information at 859-259-1834. On February 26, is the last roundabout of the month for the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, 502-895-4598 for information. February 27 to March 1 is the 2016 ACB Mid-Year Meetings, the President's Meeting and Legislative Seminar. For more information, contact the ACB office at 202-467-5081 or 800-424-8666. February 28 is the KCB Next Generation Dine-Out, 1 to 3 p.m. at Texas Roadhouse, 6460 Dutchman's Parkway in Louisville. For information, call 502-750-1774 or email alsmoot87, A-L-S-M-O-O-T-87 at gmail.com. February 28 is the ACB Families Meeting at 9 p.m., on the conference line at 605-475-6333, code 1711553. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.